The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Welcome back to another episode of Connected. I'm Alex Sharp here with Side Street Studio Arts, and I'm here with artist Rita Grenzine, and we're talking about her art, um, her piece, Belly, that is currently here at Side Street um, as part of our Going Dutch expedition. So we're here to talk about um, with Rita about her current work that's here at the studio. Um, so before we get into questions, uh, Rita, if you can just introduce yourself a little bit, a little bit of background as you as an artist and also the medium that you work in. Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me on. It's really fun. It's my first podcast, so I'm kind of excited and nervous. Um, my background, I, I live in the Fox River Valley. I've been here for about 20 years. Um, we moved here you know, for two years for my husband's job and um, we stayed, you know, we had a family and stayed. It's been a really welcoming and nurturing place for all of us. Um, my background is in fiber arts. I have two degrees in fiber um, and I was attracted to the fiber department, not partially because of the tradition of weaving and screen printing and basketry, especially, you know, obviously held a, um, a close place for me. I learned a lot of those techniques, but just the openness that those departments had for experimenting with a lot of different materials. And that has stayed with me in both my undergraduate and graduate work. I feel that um, a lot of my work, the content of the work is influenced by the materials I choose and sometimes even guided by those materials. All right. Yeah. Um, my next question, are you kind of you uh, talked about a little bit that you have a degree in fiber um, and that you like working with these materials of fiber, a uh, fabric, yarn, paper. Um, so to get a little bit more into it, was this something that you got into as a child? Was this something that you were introduced um, during your degree at university or have you always had an interest in these like textiles? You know, my mom uh, was a big seamstress. Uh, we were an immigrant family, so we didn't have a lot of money. I was we were I was born in Canada, in rural Canada. So uh, when we were living there, my mom sewed all of our clothes. Um, even for my brothers, she sewed them leisure suits in the seventies. Those wonderful belted suits for men with no sleeves, and um, she could do it all. Um, and later in life, she was a teacher by trade, and this was something she did for our family. When we moved to the states. Um, she didn't really enjoy teaching as much at that point because she was substitute teaching mostly and she ended up taking a job as a seamstress for the next really the remainder of her life and really just always loved making so sewing and fabric and making has always been a part of my life um uh i can't say that i was ever very into those types of creativity as a kid i really liked to make up kind of stories and draw them i was always drawing things there's the story my mom has about me drawing a picture of someone with a fried egg on their head and another one. She always <laughs> tells me that I would draw the fabric first and then put the person in it. So obviously there was this, you know, uh, 
the idea of a narrative, the idea of you know, things having a story behind them in any way, whether it's the materials or the context of the materials has stayed with me. Um, and in, in undergrad, I was actually at first, I was a drawing major because I loved to draw and paint. And um, I went to a, a a pretty small art school in Cleveland, the Cleveland Institute of Art. And at the time it was a five year, very intense program, very heavy on drawing and um, foundations, two full years of foundations before you could choose your major. Um, and then it was another three years once you chose that. And um, I decided to be a drawing major, but I was the only one. I was one drawing major and I took an elective class in the fiber department and here were like 20 artists making really cool things, learning to silk screen print with these like 30 by 40 silk screens and doing yardages of fabric and then weaving baskets and weaving on a loom. And it kind of blew my mind that I could make fabric, you know, just that idea. It still kind of amazes me when I see my friends from art school weaving fabric fabric, you know, not weird wonky things that are turning into sculpture, but actual fabric that you can cut. And so I just think it's 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 fascinating to me that out of these little threads, this accumulation, those kind of processes are really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then you mentioned you had a strong background in drawing and that was originally your major. Um, so did you, when you switched to kind of a degree in fiber, did you bring some of that traditional drawing background to um, your work with kind of more like three-dimensional uh, material? Oh, for sure. And I think my goal since undergraduate, which, you know, I finished in 1987, so it's been a minute. Um, I think my goal for, for my entire artistic career is that I wanted to, I, I always felt like I had... Um, some strength in drawing, a strong gestural drawing. I was often drawing abstractly, even though I loved to draw the figure. I was usually drawing something more abstract and um, I always wanted to make those into experiences. And I think I'm still trying to do that. It's the same idea. Even when I draw now, I have a pretty strong drawing practice. It's kind of like my, um, my commute since my studio is now in my garage just across my yard um so when i go there the first 15 minutes when i get to the studio every day is just spent drawing in a sketchbook and it might just be marks sometimes it ends up being more notes than drawing but it's that transition so that kind of idea of mark making and accumulative mark making is is part of my daily habits still and i think it definitely shows up in the in the installations where often my installations are made out of either the pieces themselves are made out of many small things or it's many small things making the installation. It's that idea of accumulation and um, building, you know, building on a single thread or building on a single pencil stroke. It's all like down to the simple, it's all like comes down to the most simple ideas of marks and small, you know, to make the bigger. It really does. And, and I think it, it comes down to also habit, you know, and, and it's good to break those habits. I actually feel right now I've just had a couple of big shows and, um, some really good things going on and I'm feeling a little stuck. I'm thinking maybe I need to break my habit and not draw for a while. And maybe for a while there, I was working with watercolor. Sometimes you have to break those good habits to, to come back to them later stronger. So we'll see. We'll see what the next couple of weeks bring. <laughs> Holidays, too much pumpkin pie. And then I'll be, you know, getting out oil paints and something crazy. I don't know. <laughs> okay, and then uh, before we get into the piece that you have here at the studio belly, um, my last question was that, and you mentioned that you're um, you're an immigrant family. Your parents are from Latvia, um, and then you studied also in Latvia too for a couple of years. So, um, what was that experience like going back to the heritage and culture of your family? And uh, what was your focus study in Latvia, and how did that trip impact your art going forward? 
that's a big question. Um, <laughs> so I grew up here in the States. My, my family was in Cleveland. Um, my dad was a Lutheran minister and um, was uh, serving in a Latvian Lutheran church. So when we moved to the States, compared to when I lived in rural Canada, all of a sudden our whole life was in the Latvian expat, or at that point it was exiled community because mm -hmm. Latvia was occupied by the Soviet Union. So during those years, I had never been, my parents had not been back, but they were teaching all of us Latvian. We went to Latvian school on Saturdays. I went to Latvian Girl Scouts. You know, we did Latvian, um, church was all in Latvian. It's like our whole life became immersed in this second culture and it became a huge part of my identity. Um, and it has stayed with me as well because, um, when I went to graduate school, by the time I went to graduate school, I took some time off between my degrees. Um, Latvia had regained its independence. And I had been in Germany for a couple of years and had been back and forth to Latvia eight times in about two years time. And I'd fallen in love with the country and fallen in love with my family there that, you know, I have cousins there and, um, and also more distant relatives, but just made friends that weren't family, like just met people that I really connected with and started understanding my own aesthetic and how it has been influenced. It's of course it's influenced by my current geographical um, location, but how culturally the things that have been handed down to me, the things we had in our home and the colors my parents were attracted to had seeped into my own aesthetic. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get away from it, you know. So as I was finishing my graduate degree, all of my work was about identity because so much had been tied up in being this Latvian American who was fighting for Latvia's independence in her own way, like my whole cultural group was, you know, because it was an occupied country and there were horrible things happening. Once the company, the country regained freedom, I think a lot of us felt a little bit lost. So what's our mission now? Like if we're not there to help build the next nation, we might not have those skills. So how do we identify now? Are we still, does it matter that we have this Latvian heritage anymore? Is it still a viable thing for my, um, for my artistic practice? And my graduate work ended up being a little bit about that, about identity and what I felt connected to. So I, um, I took the opportunity to apply for a Fulbright grant and was there in Latvia for a year on a Fulbright. And that was an amazing, amazing. Anyone who has the chance to apply and go on a Fulbright should go. Um, completely immersed in that culture. Um, I was, I got married like a month before I left and my husband got to go with me um, and uh, just spent the whole year there. And my focus there was on embroidery and mark making. So I was going around and meeting with people who had been um, during the Soviet era kind of maintaining the culture, you know, underground a little bit. And they were all still a little bit skeptical of anyone from the outside, a little bit nervous about us. But I went on some trips to parts of Latvia I'd never been to before, where there were rocks that are considered holy sites that had like Latvian symbols carved into them. I got to go into some museum vaults and see some really cool old textiles. It was just an amazing year. I was going to lectures at the history uh, in history at the university. And even though I was fluent in Latvian, I realized that I understood only like every fifth word she was saying in this <laughs> academic language. It was just such an experience um, and such a growing experience for me as an artist. You know, I think gosh, I would go again in a heartbeat. And um, I think that idea of traveling and studying, especially for artists, you know, visually just getting more information is so valuable. It really, boy, I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. That's awesome that you, you know, 
you said you kind of like lost that you know identity of like culture and then now you're able to kind of sustain it through you know your artwork and and find that again so that's awesome um so we'll get into belly which is what you have here at the studio um so you created you started using um the medium of the grocery paper bags during quarantine um so can you speak about a little about creating art during this time um was your work hindered or advanced anyway during the pandemic and how did you come to using paper bags <laughs> sure um so it was an odd time you know mm -hmm. i had a uh when the when the first stay-at-home order hit I was working part-time in our local high school. I was working um, as an aide in a testing center, just, you know, after school help for kids. Cause I knew I, I myself have a kid now in college who was heading off to college. And I was like, we need to save every penny we can. Mm -hmm. So um, I started seeing all these kids coming in, you know, after school with all kinds of different learning disabilities or just emotional stress, even before the pandemic, right? So then the pandemic hits and, you know, my own kid who's a high school senior doesn't get the rest of his senior year. And we're all here in the house together trying to do school from here. And it was a really strange time. I didn't have a job at that point. So I learned um, that even though we weren't working, there, um, they were still going to be handing out because they had that mandate somewhere in there. They said, you know, even if, um, we're not in school. You can get free lunches for your kids if you need them. And I thought, well, we don't need that. Like, who needs that in the town I live when that's affluent? And, you know, it'd be great if those they gave those to communities that need it more than we do. And I was very surprised to find out the percentage of students that really needed that, that weren't getting fed every day because they weren't in school. So I started going on the days um, that they were, you know, passing out the meals for the week. I started helping hand those out and, um, it was really eye-opening because I was seeing my neighbors who I know well and um, who were struggling. The pandemic, a lot of people lost work or had less work, like I had less work. Um, shows got canceled or postponed for me, visual art shows, things like that. So um, I think a lot of people had a lot of kind of like, you know, reshuffling kind of thing. Like you're going through the Rolodex in your mind and going, well, that's not working. That's not working. That's not working. So you start looking for, for ways to, um, make the best i guess and because my studio is at home it literally is across my yard i at least had that little escape to get away from my family that was driving me a little bit nutty and to get away from the worries but um i didn't feel comfortable not knowing when i'd be going back to work or if i'd be going back to work my husband runs his own business so our income was severely uh, cut back as well. So I thought, well, I can't spend any of the money I have on art supplies. I don't have any upcoming shows and what do I have? Um, I just started looking because I like to use, use materials that are accumulative and lots of them. I just started looking around and I realized, you know, I had this whole bag of paper bags and in, in art school, I sometimes, you know, did charcoal drawings on that brown paper. It looked kind of nice. I thought, well, I'll just try that. And then I started cutting it apart and weaving it. And then I started thinking about them as a symbol, you know, they were grocery bags and they were now empty and I was lucky enough to have had them because they'd had food in them. But it really was hearkening back to this idea of all the people, my neighbors that just didn't have enough. And, and um, there wasn't a direct line. It wasn't like, oh, I've got this grocery bag and I'm going to make work about hungry. It just, because I was working with the grocery bags as this was happening at the same time, it kind of naturally came together. Um, and I did, you know, all the grocery bags in this piece are not mine. Of course, I um, I 
put out a call and I actually had someone ship me bags from uh, the East Coast and um, you can see the green one. Those are mostly from the, I can't remember the name of the store, but you can read it on some of the bags, but the different colors of the print on the bag started interesting me more. And I thought too, you know, these are, the pieces themselves are huge. They're like giant grocery bags with holes in them, but they've also got this ink on the outside that can be see, seen kind of like a tattoo, um, an identifier in a way, or maybe, you know, my work is really physical and I like to garden as well. And any of that work is so physical. You always end up with some odd bruise and sometimes, you know, I don't want to say I'm proud of my bruises, but it's like, it's a sign of having worked hard. Like, I don't know where it came from. It doesn't hurt me, but look, you know, wow, I must've really like whacked into something or really been working super hard to have not noticed. And I love the idea of, um, of, of comparing these ideas of the skin on something where maybe you're not noticing on the outside, but the inside is empty and the inside is, it's just, it's kind of, um, poignant, you know, making a point that, you know, not everyone has enough and not everyone's grocery bag can hold what it needs to. Yeah. Um, reading your artist statement, that was something that resonated with me of like the bruises on the outside of the bag using um, the logo of the store. So like Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, all that stuff. Um, and because I've, I've worked jobs outside and physical labor and I always I bruise so easily I have bruises all over I'm like what yeah like you said where did that come from um so you know it resonated a lot with me and I'm sure it resonated a lot with a lot of people who um and you mentioned this in your artist statement that they're not a bad bruises they're you know a life well lived a life right and that I think that really comes across in the artwork because those bruises um, give the, you know, those, these big vessels, like a lot of character. Um, so that was definitely something really interesting that resonated with me a lot when I saw your work. Um, and so this kind of found and recycled material for, um, belly, is that the first time you've kind of done that? Or have you worked a lot with just like recycled found, whatever's on hand kind of material? I think with belly, it was the first time when, um, it, it was definitely not the first time I've used with recycled or accumulated materials. Um, absolutely not. But, um, but it's probably the most, um, humble of the materials I've used, honestly, mm -hmm. you know, grocery bags, everybody, people put their garbage in it and throw them out. You know, they're, nobody really cares for them in the pandemic. We couldn't use our reusable bags. So they became kind of a commodity. I remember at one point they're saying, oh, we're going to run out of bags. They were complaining that the bags they got weren't the right size, you know, things like that, that became so interesting to me, like, like as a social commentary on the bag. But, um, but for me, it actually is, is really important not to be putting things out into the world that, um, not to be wasteful. You know, there is so much stuff in the world and art can be a wasteful practice, especially if you like to work like I do on a large scale. I'm trying not to add to the landfill you know and when i do add to the landfill it's after something has had a second or third or fourth iteration these pieces in belly this is the second time they've been shown and they both both times they've been shown in conjunction with a food drive because i think it's an important part of the message um, they are serving a second purpose other than you know being a grocery bag they are a symbol for hunger or for, and for collecting and sharing with others um, I think I can probably get another iteration out of them before they start disintegrating. And I'm okay with them disintegrating eventually. They've already done their main job. So my part of my message to me, or part of my, you know, the things that I like to work with is this idea that I give something a second life or 
a second interpretation, something that keeps it out of the landfill at least a little bit longer or um, keeps it out of the landfill completely. I love to work with found objects. And usually a singular object doesn't do a lot for me, but if I can get a lot of anything, I get pretty excited. Um, whether it's, you know, toothpicks, I have a piece made of toothpicks, ribbons, um, I made a bunch of pom-poms out of all this found yarn I had. That's in my piece in Aurora. It's a huggable art piece. It's called Collective Comfort. Um, I'm really interested in um, the word not being the work not being precious and being very, very approachable. And with belly, you know, if people touch it, it's okay. They're grocery bags. If they rip, <laughs> I can staple another piece on it. It's really, it's not precious. My time is valuable. My ideas are valuable, but the actual physical piece is not of great monetary value. I want the message to be the valuable part of it. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, my first, I don't know why my first instinct when I saw your pieces, I'm like, I want to get inside. That's oh, go for it. Go in there. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. I'd love that. I got my best pictures that way, laying on the floor of my studio, turning out all the lights that only the natural light was coming in my one window. I, I love, I mean, they look like strata or like, and I love the fact that with installation, you can be transported somewhere else, wherever your memory or your um, aesthetic takes you. For some people, you know, it, it reminds them of natural landscapes. For other people, they're like body parts. And if that's where your aesthetic goes, then you should go there. I'm not going to dictate that to you. I can only make what I make. And then the interpretation is up to the viewer. Yeah, my experience walking through because I did earlier this week was the first time I you know came in here and saw it, and um, it was a particularly sunny day, and so we had the sun coming in through the windows of the studio, and it was just amazing that they kind of went through these holes in the you know in the big vessels of, you know and casted light across the the studio walls, and I was walking around in them. Like I said, I had this instinct to like get inside them for some reason, but I felt like I was walking around like trees because they are so tall. Um, I'm kind of short and the, these, they're like eight to 10 feet tall, kind of suspended from the ceiling. So it's this unique experience of them being almost, they're not quite dominating, but almost in their size, but being very calming in the way that the light, um, you know, goes through them and the, the light that the shadows are creating through the holes in the bag. Um, so that was like immediately a question I knew I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, what was the process of making them? Why so large? And you, um, a lot of your work, seeing your past work and this current belly, very much like linear, um, like perspective in a lot of your work. Um, can you talk about a little bit about the, the process of creating? Maybe it's that small person, uh, whatever it is, psychological problem that I'm, I'm a small person as well. I'm <laughs> barely five foot two, but I like making big things. I don't know. Um, Napoleon complex. Is that what it's called? Um, no, that's not it. You know, I have tried and, and I have made some smaller pieces, you know, even from some of my large installations, I always try to make some smaller versions because I all, you know, number one, it's a great way to experiment to get the technique down. But I, I tend to go where it tells me it needs to go, you know, and um, and once I have an idea when I've worked with the material for a while, when I'm when I'm kind of like workshopping it until I get to that place, I don't know if it'll be vertical or horizontal or a singular, you know, sculpture or a couple of sculptures or if it will be an installation. I, I really do rely on the materials to tell me that. And I wanted these to read 
similar to grocery bags, but I knew I had to change something other than just piecing them and, and taking them apart. They started out flat. I had them on my wall. Some of them had day glow paint on the back and that was a really cool thing, but I wanted to get inside them too, because I really loved when I started, you know, I, my studio isn't big, but if I clear everything out, I could get like an eight foot tall by 15 foot wide, big piece of this, uh, what turned into these kind of giant sacks when it's flat out on the floor, I can have a piece like that on the floor. And I kept wanting to get the light underneath it and inside it. And um, I'm very, very moved by forests and the natural world. I go for a walk every day. I live not far from some trails. And um, the idea of being in the woods or being in any place where the light changes, light, just light. I think, you know, people always talk about painters needing light. I think every artist needs light. I just, the way I respond to the changing light in my studio or in my house, I love the way color changes in different lights. So those are all things that were really important to me. And I don't know why there's so much linear stuff right now. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Um, but it's fine. You know, I'm fine with it. Um, I have been trying to work on some smaller pieces and it's not going, they keep getting big. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that's awesome. You just kind of like, well, let's see where it goes. And it always goes big. Oh. Well, and you know, if you think about it, if you want to make something of a large scale, the vertical space is usually the less used space too, right? And especially if you want to place that somewhere, I found that to be true. Or a lot of times where when people come to me and say, we'd like you to put an artwork in this space, it's often a very vertical space. So the space does dictate it as well to some degree, but um, it is all a conversation. I think all art is in some way reactive, either the artist's reacting to a color or an experience or in, in an installation artist case, they're reacting to the space and you know, how do they put their work in that space? How do they make it work with the context of the space, how the space is used to. And so that was all the questions I had for you, Rita. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add here about um, your piece here at Side Street? Well, I hope people visit it and I hope that they feel really comfortable experiencing it. If they want to get up inside it, I'm totally okay with that. I do ask that people not tug on them, but they're okay <laughs> to touch them. I mean, it's just brown paper and staples. Um, and I would not worry if things, you know, um, and nothing can happen to the piece. I'd rather have people experience it and and have that experience and maybe share that with me. I'd love to hear, I love hearing from people about how they experience my work or where it takes them or where it doesn't take them. You know, I need to hear all of it. And I do hope that, um, I do hope that people consider those who don't have enough, especially this time of year, we, we hear a lot of this, but it's really easy to get an extra can of beans and add it to the bin, you know, one can, you don't have to bring a whole bag. You can bring a can or a box of mac and cheese just so that somebody else might have enough one night. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful piece with a beautiful message. Um, so thank you so much for sitting down with me today, Rita. Um, so if you want to check out Belly, it's here at the Going Dutch Festival here at Side Street Studios until the November 27th. Um, also, if you want to check out more of Rita's work, she has a um, collaborative expedition going on at Aurora University until the December 9th, uh, Remembrance of Things Past. You can also look at um, a lot of her past work at her website, RitaGrenzine.com. Um, but other than that, I'll let you go, Rita. Thank you so Thank much. You. I enjoyed this. It was really nice meeting you. Um, this is another episode of Connected. I'm Alex Sharp with Side Seat Studio Arts. 
Um, and again, thank you so much, Rita, for sitting down with us today. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.